I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Caught Offside with Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. Oh, yes. Caught Offside just outside of New York City and from an apartment in Brooklyn, New York, Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. What's up, brother? I'll tell you what's up. What's up is me feeling feeling quite old, Andrew. Uh, one of the great things about the football internet is that Twitter and TikTok and all these spaces will keep you up to date with amazing things that happened in the past and with previous dates. And you're like, oh, yeah, I remember that. But when you remember it as well as I do, you know you're getting up there. 28 years ago to the day, Eric Cantona flew into mm-hmm. the bottom tier of the stand at Sellers Park uh, against Crystal Palace and Kung Fu kicked uh, Mr. Simmons, yeah. uh, which led to just the most amazing furore in the English press, um, which considering what their fans were doing all across Europe every time they went abroad was kind of unbelievable. But I guess for a player to inflict that on another supporter was just amazing. So I'm watching that today, 28 years ago today, um, January 26th, 1995. Yeah, you were just 27 then. How dare you? I was um I was 12. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I would say that that is uh what's the word you use furore? That is to me justifiable furore. Yeah, it was it was that's a huge deal that one of the best players in the league did that. <laughs> <laughs> really? I, I can understand why there was a big deal made about it. It did, like it, it felt as if, and remember, there was only one form. There was like two forms of media then. There was your newspapers, and then there was your television and radio. I guess that's three, and that's all that was there. That's it, it. Felt like you could were cocooned in this, and all your friends were talking about it. Did you see it? Did you see it? It was, 
It was absolutely crazy, and um, it, and it's still crazy to me. And uh, and now I'm old. Yeah. Wow. Uh, what a show we have for you here. Um, Looking forward to this one. Yeah, it is. I mean, we're we are we're sick, JJ. We have a we have a sickness. We we we're not normal. It's uh, not a sex fetish, Andrew, but it's it might be as damaging to our respective relationships as an affair. We're not normal. We we were considering when we wanted to do uh, this podcast, and we had a couple thoughts, and then we said, "Wait a minute, the U.S. plays. We're, we can't we can't do this before they play." Like it was like this, like the January camp meeting between the U.S. D yeah. squad against the Serbian D squad. Uh, like there was like we were. In my head, I was like, what, what are we, idiots, to think that we would record at any other time other than immediately following that game? I, I guess I'm still in the World Cup mind frame where just yeah. like the U.S. plays, it's a big deal. We record when it's over. Um, and the weird thing is, there was three goals tonight in, in, in Los Angeles, in, in BMO Field, which they're now calling it. Didn't get the memo, whatever. Uh, three goals tonight. The two most significant goals involving the U.S. men's national team may have been somewhere else uh, in continental Europe, but we will we will get to that uh, as we as we go along. Um, we've got a problem, man. It's a sickness. Um, I don't know. Like, there's loads of therapists in in New York that we could go see about this, and I mean, they'd immediately think we were it, it was something different, but it it, it really just is a commitment to watching anything this team does. And in the old days, guys, we'd be traveling to the studio. I'd be coming home from the... I'd just be recording now in the studio yeah. in the old days and then getting the D train, the absolute crazy machine, back to Brooklyn. Yeah, remember like the, the US-Honduras qualifiers that like start at oh. 10 o'clock at night? and Jesus. Yeah, yeah. But Crazy here we stuff. are. This is this the, is what we're about. I, I wouldn't go to a therapist. For this. I, I don't want to change. I like this version of myself. I like the sickness. I, that, you know, it's your John Candy sickness. I like me. My wife <laughs> tolerates me. <laughs> That's it. By the yeah. way, speaking of, of real sickness. Oh, you look. You do not look well, sir. And I think it's only fair that I constantly broadcast my, my COVID status, my knee status, my back status. On this podcast, you should give a health update to the masses. Why do I not look well? It was the first thing I was in the Zoom session, and then you logged in, and immediately before you even said hello, uh, you you entered the room and immediately said, "Oh, oh." <laughs> well, you give I think me. I look. I, I look tired. That's all. I uh, I immediately from from your visage, uh, from your face. Uh, thought, oh, now I'm doing a podcast with Skeletor. <laughs> I'm just tired. Um, you know, it was interesting to uh, to sit down. Uh, yeah, we went like year, well, not years, but we would go. We went long stretches when the World Cup started. Uh, JJ and I, and watching a U.S. game like that, I, I remember kind of. We might have said on the podcast, boy, it was, you know. Boy, it was fun watching. It's been a while since we watched a game like this with with real consequence. And now sitting down tonight to watch this, I was like after going through the whole World Cup experience and doing so many U.S. emergency pods and then semifinals, finals pods, all that stuff. Now here we are doing one after this game. And I'm thinking, boy, it's it's been a while since we've 
done done a pod after a game of such little consequence. No, <laughs> it just no, felt like that. I mean, the the HBO broadcast team were doing their damnedest to stretch this out into some zone of meaning. You know that oh, this will be important. They'll get a lot from this tonight. No, 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 they won't. It's they'll get what they'll get is the buzz of representing their country, the buzz of playing football, which they love. Uh, but that's it. There'll be no more from this. Uh, and and reading too much into it is a mistake. Now watch us as we read much into it. Here we go. Um, before before we get to it, we got we got way more on the pod as well. We've got the oh. Carabao Cup uh, semifinals, complete with Carabao noise. I assume um, we'll analyze those first legs. Oh, he's he's giving me the face. Uh, I've thrown him under the bus, haven't I? Uh, maybe not with carbon noise, carbon noise. But we're having the we're talking about those first legs, and we're also going to just talk into uh, what was a crazy few days at uh, Everton Football Club. Yeah, yeah, it really was. Uh, so we'll get to all that stuff. No, no, no. I do. I, I think I actually do have the carabao noise. So yippee for everybody out there who's been craving that. Um, as for this game. First off, I, I'll just point out, even like before even getting to the game stuff, um, boy, it's, I don't know, it shouldn't feel so weird, but like going to HBO Max to watch a live soccer uh, game, just, it just, I'm not used to it yet. Um, it's fine. Like, I think they do a good job. I like everybody involved in the broadcast. Not sure what I think of the the song, um, but that doesn't matter really at all. Uh, yeah, just, I don't know, just like not something I'm used to doing, but I'm whatever, just my uh, personal feelings as I do it. It's amazing how your TV conditions you. I see Sarah Walsh there on the sideline and she's done soccer before, but I saw her there as presenter and all I thought was, you don't do soccer just like that. And then uh, she was very calm and collected. I thought they did a brilliant job as they were attempted to be sabotaged by the PA at BMO Stadium, who could not play the music louder, uh, was absolutely, uh, he wanted to rile up the crowd that wasn't there. Like someone should have said, buddy, there's going to be 12 people here tonight. Lay off the sound and allow us to hear Kyle Martino say things. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess. I, I didn't I didn't have as much of an issue with that, but... Um... The game itself, I mean, look, I'll just go through. Like, it's one of those things where, sure, winning would have been fine. But, like, I have no, short of, of the U.S. winning or losing 7-0 in a game like this, I have no real interest or concern with the result. It's entirely, watching a game like this, you're just watching players. That's all this is, is just, like, trying to identify, trying to trying to grasp onto any you know, any sense of, okay, who stands out, who looks like they belong, who looks a little bit lost. Yeah. Um, that's, that's all this is. So I, I don't have much on, you know, the overall you know, lineup decisions. Like I'm not going to sit here and really critique Anthony Hudson uh, in his interim role tonight. It, it's not like. We leave that know, to just... Colorado Rapids fans who are uh, <laughs> quite happy to do that. Yeah. It's not really about that. I just have a few names that in watching this game that stood out to me one way or another. Um, and it's probably most of the same names that I think all of you out there would be thinking as well. The first one for me, JJ, uh, Cade Cowell, 
I thought, oh, he's your boy, though. I mean, he put in a performance that made old Daddy Andy proud. You've been yeah. banging on about this fella for for 18, 20 months now. And uh, and boy, did he show up for you tonight. Yeah, he did. Uh, first half straight out of the gate, you know, making things happen. I know Brandon Vasquez forced uh, a turnover, which then went to Cowell, who then set up Vasquez, who pushed a shot wide. Uh, and that kind of set an early tone. He was involved in in so much throughout the course of this game. He just looked confident, uh, dribbling through traffic. You know, they, they talked a little bit on the broadcast, and J.J. reminds me of a, of a quote that you once had. It was a drop that we used to play where I, I think you said something to the effect of, uh, you know, there's a time for bravery, something like that. And, like, this yeah. is a night where, like, there, you really, if you're a guy on this team playing in this game, you kind of have nothing to lose. It really is like the time for bravery. Like if you can't take chances on a game like this, uh, then what are you waiting for, essentially? And so he was a guy that stood out to me who was willing to do that, dribble through traffic, um, and he looked good doing it at times. And then in the second half, he continued with it. How did he Had he not score? Hit the post twice within 30 yeah. seconds. Um but I, I overall, I really I was heartened by what I saw from him. I thought he was involved in a lot of the action, and I thought uh, you know just one of those games where you're looking for for the guys who just kind of like stand out in a different way than everyone else out there. And for me, he he was that in this game, so that's good. Yeah, definitely. I'd like to talk about his strike partner as well. Cowell said uh, Vasquez will want this chance back. I know he scored, but I thought Brandon Vasquez was in the limited way that they were able to involve him which kind of faded after after a period. I thought he was quite good. And, um, you know, his pressure to to close down the Serbian keeper to make the ball get to Cowell, who cut it back for him nicely. He opened out his body too much. He should score. But the header, it's a really good header. Like, if you look at the angle he's moving away from, Gressel Lee, Lee puts it in the one area. Uh, if you have a criticism of just that goal, it's like Serbia put no pressure on the ball at any point in it. It goes through Morris, I think, um, and Zendejas, and then and then it ends up at Gressel. It's a great ball in. It's a super header. Um, and, and I thought, you know, again, in, in, in his own limited way, um, and the involvement was limited, that Vasquez did really well. But I think I saw little bits and pieces from everyone. I thought Gressel didn't play that well, but I thought at times... That time, the delivery for the goal was excellent. Um, I think it was Lucic. He gave the ball straight to the Serbian player. And uh, Lucic ran ran rings around him. And he just about recovered uh, in the box. Um, a big shout out to to the young goalkeeper, uh, Slolnina, because, I mean, I don't, I don't care how many games he's played for Chicago Fire. It's, it's a, a daunting position at any age. It's always a daunting position when you're younger. And I thought the double save he made was really, really good. Got got a knock in the process. Then he batted one away after Serbia had that lovely dummied one too with the step over that volley. You know, it's a, I know people say he's got to make that save. It's at the near post. He still made it. Um, and I thought pretty, apart pretty from... Pretty close to him as well. It was. It was Mashed pretty close. Mashed at him from a, from a tight angle, but it, yeah, did a but good job he, with it. No, he was brave. I thought I thought it was... I, you know, I just thought it was good. Um Big thing for me would have been, um, you know, the the center backs, and uh, you were saying there is no consequence in this game. If Walker Zimmerman's injured, then I think uh, 
I think there'll be certain MLS club will be will be pretty annoyed, but we don't know how serious it was or 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 maybe it was planned that he would come out. I haven't heard anything in the post game. Um Jalen Neal, I thought was was really composed on the ball for a long period of that of that first half, for most of the first half. And then it's just one of those, Andrew, the ball is hanging in the air. Uh, for the go-ahead goal for Serbia. Uh, that's what I'm talking about. No, he's got to be commanding there. He's got to put his head through it, letting it bounce. That's a real problem. Then expecting his fullback to come across and clear it. Pointing almost doesn't happen. And Simic nips in and, and takes his goal very, very well. But that's the kind of, I mean, he's a super young player. But I, yeah. I will say, other than that, like for a ball-playing centre-back, you look quite good. And on a surface that I have to say, What's wrong with this field? Like, is it freshly? It looks so patchwork and relayed. It was really poor. And it, I, at times you could see the ball bobbling, not least on the Stalinina double save where it bobbled up and he, um, he, had, to, he had to adjust and make the, make the first save. But um, so, I, you know, I thought at times even Aidan Morris was very good. Uh-huh. Uh, I thought so too. So, um, and, but the player for me that didn't do much for a while and then grew, particularly in that second half, where he thought the U.S. kind of turned the screw and got on top a bit, particularly after the substitutions, uh, was Zendejas. I thought he was very good. And you can see there's real quality there. Um, and so, yeah. Like you said, it's hard to extrapolate much more from a game like this. But I saw even even bits and pieces from Gomez. I thought Gomez was quite good. Um, yeah, just... a. Uh, not the worst um, January camp game I've ever seen. Certainly not that. Um, I'd had some lively moments, mostly coming from Cade Cowell. I think it was a, an enjoyable kind of... A real game. celebration of the sport. <laughs> I know. It's it's so hard for me to know what to say here because this reminds me of the... Um, actually, it's not even at the level. Back in the day in the 90s, you'd have B-squad games, B-internationals. Where, where a B team would be put out. I mean, this isn't even our B team. No. Oh, not even close. Yeah. No, I, no, I, no. Will, I will say... This is a prospect camp. This is just like, if we can... This like Not to be demeaning of the guys who are there, Like this this matters, and it's cool that they got yeah. capped and, and kind of are getting ingratiated into the system, but like this is just about if we can find two guys from this who can maybe do something... At like the next level, then then it's a win. Like that's all they're looking for here. Um, so you know, add to their depth uh, for you know future gold cups, things like that. Like that's, uh, yeah, it it is what it is. Like I'm not I'm not gonna overanalyze any of this. Like the way you talked about Jalen Neal is kind of like that's appropriate for a night like this. Like I can't, you know, like you, you want to get. Like your instinct is to get mad when the goal happens, but then you're kind of you got to stop yourself and, and kind of remember like, well, that's sort of what this camp is about. Like he's 19, you know, he's like just he's playing alongside guys that he hasn't played with before. Um, he's still in his preseason, so like there's you you can't really even get mad. The, I'll tell you this: the only time during the course of this game where I was like, oh come on. Like the the way that first goal was conceded, even in a game of no consequence, 
like for for a free kick to be able to just pass through the wall like that it's like i don't care what the consequence is of the game that can't that just shouldn't happen and but, like but who side allowed, did it happen I on allowed myself to get annoyed there uh, so did i who's ha- whose side did it happen on though my friend well, i thought it was walker zimmerman who kind it of was on away. walker zimmerman and gressel's side at first i was ready to to criticize I think he had Mars in, uh, in the center, but no, it was it was no, to it me. Was... It looked like Zimmerman almost jumped away to open. Maybe Gressel also. I, I don't know, but to me, it looked more like Zimmerman. Um, but that but that was the only moment where I was like, okay, like if you want to be annoyed, this is a moment where you can actually be annoyed. <laughs> I love you. I love the way. Today, at this moment, I'm going to give myself permission to be annoyed. Well, because I came into the game, I was like, all right, this is just yeah. like, just, just, this is the most stress free U.S. soccer watch you're ever going to have. Just watch and try to identify guy. And then that happened. I was like, oh, come on. Like, that was the only I got moment. a little annoyed at the, at, on, on 38 minutes, the, what I described as the triple whiff, where uh, Neil whiffed on one in the, in, in the opposition box, in the Serbian box. Then Gressel and then Vasquez and the ball just rolls out. I'm like, oh, come on, guys. Someone put a foot on that. And that's uh, that's two nil. But there we go. Yeah, you're right. Although there's also like that was also one of the I remember that moment. And again, in these games, I kind of keep my own score like there's the real score. And then there's the moments where I'm like, oh, well, in a real game, we would have scored there. So we have two now. (laughs) <laughs> like that was one of those where I was like, okay, well, we, that's a goal. We scored. So, yeah. Um, yeah. The Cade Cowell, the, the double post, I gave us half a goal. So we actually finished the night with two and a half. So not a bad showing for the U S fantastic. Uh, can I ask you a question just uh, because, you know, you're, you're adding your own own rules to this game. Uh-huh. Do you think there should be full international caps handed out for games like this? For friendlies? No, no, no. For friend. I'm, um, I mean, um, friendlies that teams aren't obligated to release their players for. Yeah. I'm, I mean, yeah, I'm, the guys who played tonight got a, a cap and I'm good with that. You're okay with that? Yeah. It looks like you're fishing for an answer. What are you looking yeah. for there, sailor? <laughs> sailor. Nautical. Uh, no, I'm not. I'm, I'm not sure. I, I think it's. I think it'd be harsh not to give out caps for games like this, but when the teams are so, so denuded and it's in the middle of the already ongoing season and is not technically like a window, uh, it feels, it feels odd. You have anything else on this game? Yeah. Just one quick thing. And I want you to, uh, um, I was going to say, I want you to spank me down, but, uh, yeah. Um, I didn't know where I was going with that. Uh, I get it. I get annoyed when I saw, like someone like uh, Paul Ariola coming on. And I like him. I think he's been a solid MLS player and he's never let his country down. And um, I see him coming on and I also see, you know, Kellen Acosta on the field as well. What? Like, why? Just why? Give someone else a, a, a turn. Give someone else a run. I'm just, and I know it's, well. I mean, was... Zimmerman started, Long came on. Yeah, like They're there. I don't know. They I don't think, bring them. They don't even have them on the team. Yeah, I, I like I, I I know you said well you want that experience, you want that there. I don't think you need it. I honestly don't think you need it. And tonight it was proven the two most experienced, two of the most experienced players to start the game, certainly in terms of of clubs, and uh, Zimmerman and Gressel were the ones that let you down in the free kick. Yeah, yeah, that's true. The one moment of madness from uh, from a fairly stress free evening uh, in. In Los Angeles. 
Um, one other note, not really, this is not U.S. men, but it's, it is U.S. related. So I figured I'll mention it here. We'll get back to some other, a couple other U.S. things a little bit later in the podcast. Before we move off of this, uh, I saw a tweet the other day that came from the, uh, the at CO soccer pod account. Oh, boy. All, it said, all it said was, geez, not great. And I was, uh, so I was, I saw that. I said, yeah, hmm, what's this in reference to? And then I clicked on it and it was the release of the ball for the, Women's upcoming World Cup. women's world cup yeah i i have to ask i mean look first of all to know you is to know that that opinion is just so on brand but i looked at the ball i studied it yeah uh and i thought i can't wait to ask him what why what, you... what is what is g's not great about that ball i, I don't I... even understand how anyone could look at that and say oh i don't like this it's just help me help me to understand why it's not great i i didn't like i don't like the color the color setup on it i think the thick bland uh, band of the blue and the dark almost the almost black on it as well those two those two bands are too thick together now i haven't seen the ball move i'll know a lot when i see it like move in slow motion hit the back of the net i got to see the way it rolls and moves but my first impression was not good now you're you know me. You don't like I, to like things. No, you you go have. into you go into new things wanting to not like it. I mm. go into new things rooting for it. No. This is this is why this works. We're different in this way. No, that's not it. Um I go into games and I look, oh, do I like those stanchions? Um, do I like where the astroturf on the side of the field meets the green grass? Do I like that those ratios? Do I like the corner flag shape? Like I go like all all those things. Do I like how close the uh, the advertising hoarding is to the field? Do I like all that stuff comes into mind? And and footballs is another one of my. I mean, we're on about our our, our footballing fetish areas. Mm-hmm. Like the soccer ball is one of those things. Now, someone said to me, you know, it's it's mod. It, it looks like it's modeled on the 2014 Adidas ball, which I didn't for the World Cup, the Men's World Cup in 2014, which I didn't like either. Um. <laughs> But I, uh, but you know, I think one of my favorite balls was the Euro twenty twelve ball. I really liked that one, and I do think that you need to keep a fair amount of white in it. You don't want to go too much the other way. I really liked the World Cup ball actually. That grew on me a lot. And then they messed with it for the semi final. They made it uh. a little bit more golden. Uh. You don't need to do that. You don't need to do that. Um, but these are all things I'm very strangely interested in. Like I watched a video the other day, Andrew, and it was from some other country, and I was perplexed by the stanchions. Like, I mean, these aren't regular. You can't have these. Actually, I do like an irregular stanchion every now and again, but um, these ones were too much. They were too big and too thick and too loopy, loopy stanchions. So, you know, that's where I am. This is... A glimpse into the mind of a, of a true genius. He's that's different. That's so just why I'm great with women. <laughs> they 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 can't wait to hear Stanchion talk. It was the first thing I used to pull out on the Tinder dates, Andrew. What's your um? What's your favorite Stanchion? Yeah, I could see that coming up on a date. And if and if she doesn't want to answer a question like that, then it probably was never meant to be in the first place. Exactly. Not for you. Um, we'll get back to a couple other U.S. things a little later on in the oh, podcast. We shall. But, but let's go now, JJ. 
All right, you've all waited for it. Here, here it is. You happy? You got your carabao noise there, buddy? Oh, that's fantastic. You know, people, radio and podcasting is so intimate that little things like that mean a lot to people. You know, I, you're, why am I telling this to you? You're like Mr. Radio. You're like, you were, you were the anymore. senior, senior that producer. Another, that was another life. I know. Now you're Mr. Life TV. once lived. Now you're Mr. TV. But like, you were the senior producer on one of the biggest shows in, in, in New York. I, I don't In the see, world, even. Yeah. I don't even. Yeah, actually, actually, in the world, when you consider it. Yes. So why don't you understand the the power of the drop? I understand the power of the drop. I don't understand the power of that one. People ask for it. I they know. ask for it. I know. I, I trust me. I, I've seen the tweets. It's it's weird to me that people. It, it the noise. It's an offensive noise. It hurts your ears. The brain the brain rejects it. And yet people need it. it yeah. It's very unusual. At any rate, it signifies our Carabao Cup portion of the podcast. The first leg of the semifinals occurred over the past couple of days. Um, Southampton losing at home to Newcastle 1-0. That was on Tuesday. Uh, and uh, one step closer, JJ, to uh, a trophy that has eluded Newcastle for many, many generations. Yeah, it's... It's mad. I in my head, when's the last time Newcastle were in a final? And it was 1999, uh, the FA Cup final. And I went back, Andrew, and I just had a quick look at the team. You want to hear the team, the Newcastle team that took on Manchester United? Now it was in United 99? Tri- in 99. So it was. Uh, can United's I can I make some guesses at the Newcastle team? Sure. Shearer. Yes, up front. Um, you know the the team I'm thinking of is probably. Like this wasn't like Clivert. I'm too. I'm. This is too no, early for that. You're too early. Yeah, okay. you're 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 a bit too early. Uh, go um, ahead then. Yeah. So it's it's uh, Harper and Goal, not Shea Given. Mm, okay. So that kind of kind of threw me a bit. Nico Stabizas and uh, Lauren Charvet at centre back. Andy Griffin and Didier Domi. So that's not the most famous back four you've ever heard of. But Stabizas was a fair regular. Now the midfield. Ooh. Dietmar Hammond. Gary Speed, hmm. Alberto Solano, okay. and Rob Lee. That's all right, man. Yeah. And up front, Tamori Kitsbaya eh, and Alan Shearer. Ooh. So, you know, they were they weren't a bad side. Um, but they Shearer got the- was in the crowd for this. He was there but- he was there as a fan, I think. Oh, he was there for the for for the oh he would have been, yeah, absolutely. hundred yeah. percent. Um now they are what would you say, Andrew? They're very close with the, with the second leg at St. James's Park next week. You have to think that this is very much advantage Newcastle United, and particularly when Armstrong's goal was ruled out for handball. It would be a disaster if they don't go through. Right. A total disaster. Southampton are not a good team. Um, but so... they didn't play badly in that second half. I no, they so... didn't. But, no. but they were at home, um, and they were shut out. Like I know they had some close calls, and yeah, like you said, they had a goal disallowed. Uh, which changes the complexion of this, certainly. But, you know, Newcastle going back to St. James Park with a one-goal lead, like in a year where they're pretty good and Southampton are possibly going down, it would be a disaster, a total disaster for Newcastle to not advance to the final. It's right, it's all there for them. This is their chance. 
can I can I just say something though in the positive? I know it's only one win in five in the league, and and the four. It's probably good if Southampton go out, right? It's probably good because they need to put all their energies and efforts into this this survival fight. But it, no, I I don't know if I can co-sign that. You don't want to sign, co-sign that. Well, at this point, like all their efforts and energies into uh, their survival Two games. Like, that yeah, like that ship has sailed. Like that okay. was three rounds ago. Oh, okay. Uh, now they're like, once you've come this far, go on and win the damn thing. Otherwise, that, what was it all for? That is a very fair point, and I am I'm I'm going to allow you, as you're the sick man of Europe, to chastise me in such a fashion. But I've watched a fair bit of them the last few weeks, and like I do think there's signs of life under Nathan Jones. They're desperately young. Like they're so young. It's it was madness what they did. Like total freaking madness to sign all those like 18, 19, 21 year olds and, and, and then just th- throw them in and say, have at it. You need experience. But they're on 15 points. And I mean, Bournemouth are, are third from bottom on 17, Wolves on 17, West Ham on 18, Leeds on 18. Um, I know they've played a game more than Leeds, but I, it's, it's not over for me yet for, for Southampton. This could be one of, uh, one of our great escapes. So I'll tell you what, I agree with you. Yeah. I do not want to see them go down. No, and, I and, don't and, either. And that's not to say that there's other teams that I'm now rooting for to go down. You but... hate Wolves, but go on. <laughs> that's not true. Um, but like, I don't know. I kind of like, I want to watch Gineppo and yeah. Salisu and God, you know what I think of James Ward Prowse. Like, I don't know. I kind of <laughs> like, they're not great. They're not amazing to watch, but I don't know. I kind of, I kind of want to see them stay up. I kind of. I mean, there's players on this team that I like. Now, look, if if Southampton go down, these guys that I just named, they'll probably sign with some other team in the Premier League. We'll continue to see them at the highest level. But I don't know. I I, I see what you're saying. You're not yeah. crazy. No, and I, I mean they had 13 shots. Newcastle had 15 shots. They had three on target. Newcastle had three on target. You know, it wasn't. They they didn't. They didn't run them over. Um, no, I mean, look, Newcastle. I thought on the balance of play, I thought Newcastle were definitely the better team. Newcastle, like the the shots on target. Sometimes we we talk a lot about deceiving statistics, possession being one of them. Just because you possess the ball does not yeah. it is not necessarily an indication of who controlled the game. Shots on target is another one. It can be a gauge. If so, if you put nine shots on target, yeah, okay, that you we can call that a dominant evening. But like with Newcastle. Joe Ellington, oh. he misses a shot from four yards out. Like it doesn't hit you the target, that. so so it doesn't count as a shot on target. But it's the it's the miss of the year, oh, Premier League, League Cup, whatever. I, it's one of those harder to to miss than to make. Four yards out to sky one thirty yards over the goal. I don't know how you do it. It defies physics. Yeah, and and, and another thing, and I feel like, you know. Got to be careful here because people will just get mad with me and I don't want to be repetitive. Okay, so being able to bring on Alexander Izak to burn the right side of the attack of the defense for Southampton and center that ball for Joe Linton, who got it right at the second attempt, that is a huge thing. To be able to bring on a player of that quality, to be able to bring on Alanson Maximin for the, for the end of the game, you know, there's... I keep being told there's not that much depth in the Newcastle squad. Maybe there isn't, but like having those guys to spring was huge. Well, it's all relative. There's not that much depth in the Newcastle squad compared to some of the other teams that they're battling with for top four. Compared to Southampton, yeah, sure. Yeah. 
So to be able to do that was really key in the game because at the time of the Newcastle goal, I would say Southampton were well on top. But um, but there we go. I, I I think you're right. I think it'll be a disaster if Newcastle don't make it through. They're at home at St. James's Park. History is beckoning. History has its hand out, Andrew, and oh. is beckoning. One other thing from this game, I'm surprised you didn't bring it up because it's a it's a hallmark uh, of yours to 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 oh. mention these moments. Um, JJ, there was a there was a play in I think it was in the first half where Nick Pope comes barreling out of the 18 yard box. Oh, um, and just absolutely obliterates. Oh, uh, I for, I forget who it was for Southampton. Gineppo. It was Gineppo. Okay. Just obliterates him. Now he does head it, and and like he care. heads he heads the ball. So, but like, it was just one of those moments that you talk about all the time, where goalkeepers are just allowed to get away with murder. They're allowed there. to make themselves missiles. They're the James Harrison of remember him for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Like, sure, turn himself into a torpedo. It's not it it. You're supposed to have due care for the players around you on the field. It's part of the game. Goalkeepers don't. He gets the ball. So what? He absolutely creams the guy. Yeah. Ederson is an absolute weapon for doing that. Um, and uh, and apparently Nick Pope is is joining him in that. And and look, I'm not. The goalkeepers union will be on to me. And and I I do agree that it's better that they that they're protected than they were in 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 times of yore. But they're being a. But should that apply once they leave the 18 yard box? Not not when they do things like that. To me, that is that is reckless. It's reckless, and it should be it should be dealt with as such. But because they're keepers, he didn't even get a yellow card. No, there was no foul. No, it was a play on. He he completely obliterated the poor I, guy. I, I don't I don't think it's okay. I don't. And also, you, one thing that is different about goalkeepers is that they can see the whole field sometimes. And it, say there's a ball over the top for the attacker. So he's looking over his shoulder and he's watching the flight of the ball and he's running. And the next thing he's clattered by this. This this person rushing from their goal. I mean, it's dangerous. One other mm. question on this game before we leave it. Okay, <laughs> only just give me a one word answer. Right. If you're Newcastle, you can only have one: Carabao Cup or top four. Oh, Carabao Cup. Carabao Cup. The, uh, their fans will not agree with you. I wouldn't be so sure. Depends which fans you like. They haven't won anything since the fair. Let me check. You 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 talk there. You you give me your reasoning because I I'm I'm always wondering about this question. They did have a fairs cup win in, in the early seventies, but talk away. Um, well, I just think that like this whole project that they're undergoing is is about competing on a higher level, which which would be in Europe in Europe's elite competition. Uh, that's what they want. They want to be in the Champions League. And what's more is not they don't I don't think it's just about being in the Champions League because to be in the Champions League. I think it's also about, okay, well, we have all this money, which means we can go out and sign players now. But it does become a lot easier to sign players when you're in that competition. Um otherwise, you know, you're you're not always picking from the top of the barrel. You you've got to move down a rung those elite players aren't even if you can offer them that kind of money they're not always going to want to come to your club so being in the champions league opens you up to a different level a different caliber of talent in in the transfer window so that that 
I'm just trying to put myself in in their minds. I could be wrong. I mean, this could be one of those things that I'm not putting the, the proper amount of appreciation on winning this trophy. I, if we have any Newcastle supporters, I want to hear them from America, but I'd love to hear them, like if we have any match day going listeners or anyone in, in England that's a supporter, even if they don't go to games, like how do they feel about it? Yeah, so the last the reason, it's, a t- it's a tough one. It's why I asked. Their last domestic trophy was uh, the FA Cup in the 54-55 season. Mm-hmm. Their last trophy in Europe, which is really their last trophy whatsoever was the they won the fairs cup which okay. was i think the the precursor to the uefa cup in 68 69 so that was a big enough trophy yeah. uh, you were only da- 36 then their uh their last uh, trophy of any kind someone's telling me they won the the intertotal in 2006 i don't know how yeah. that's I don't, I don't even know if that's possible but yeah the fairs cup 68 69 oh man andrew that bit of silverware I hear you. It's a tough question. Yeah, a, that's what we that's what we deal with here. The tough questions. Um, we're thinking they're probably going to be going through uh, in the other semifinal. I think we're of the belief that Manchester United are definitely going through a three nil win uh, over Nottingham Forest at the City Ground. Bruno Fernandez getting a late third goal which really felt like it put this one Iced away at, at two at two nil it already felt like it was gonna be a mountain to climb uh now it feels almost impossible for nottingham forest to turn this one around i think that this is uh i think united are are on their way through pretty much uh and eric ten hog will have a chance to win a trophy the first trophy available to him in this league that is that's that's my assumption at this point i think so too um I thought United were Marcus Rashford scored a very good goal. I didn't. I, I didn't think United were that great. I didn't think they needed to be, but they were ruthless. Uh, Vogt Veghorst scores scores his first goal for the club. Nice to get off the mark there. A nice big fat rebound. Oh, that's, that's exactly what he is there to do. You pounce on those, Val. Oh, hundred percent. Look at him with his big meaty thighs, just burying it. Um, I thought. Uh, I, I like. Forest were, were okay at times. Brennan Johnson had a few chances he'd probably want back. There was the goal ruled out early on for offside. That would have made it 1-1, I think. Or, yeah. um, and then the offside was so bloody narrow. Like, God, it's one of those where you're, is this the spirit of the law? But whatever. United did what they had to do. They didn't have to overextend themselves to win this. And they are, I mean, should Nottingham Forest turn this round, it will be one of the biggest oh. stories in the history. It's not happening, though. No, no, it's not. Uh, Marcus Rashford, this is, I don't know, I feel like this is kind of one of the really fun things in this sport is when you're you're kind of witnessing a player in one of these moments where like a, a player of great potential kind of figures it out and finds the next level. Because um, he's doing it now with, with a level of consistency where you, it's starting to feel like this is more than just a, a good patch of form. Like, I feel like we're seeing, we're seeing Mar- Marcus Rashford find the level that we've been waiting him waiting for him to find. Uh, Roy Keane talked about that a little bit after uh, the game on Sky Sports. He said, the question mark I've had over Marcus in the last few years is, uh, has he got the personality to step up to the plate? United have had some great strikers over the years, and I think they need someone like that. Marcus has to say he wants that responsibility to be the main man. The best players turn up week in and week out. It looks like he's now enjoying that responsibility, which is great to see. Uh, he's He's been a joy to watch. 
cool goal, just like carving through the defense the way that he did and still having enough at the very end to to place it in the near corner. Um, yeah, special player right now. We're, we're kind of witnessing his ascension. Yeah, no, he's in he's in very good form right now, and um, he deserves his plaudits for sure. Opta Joe, JJ, they point out only Erling Holland with 31 oof, has scored more goals than Marcus Rashford's 18 among Premier League players in all competitions this season. That's one and two right there, Holland and then Rashford. Rashford, I think I think he's got five in this competition alone. Wow. In, uh, in the League Cup. Yeah, um, and um yeah. that's that's one of those goals where like there's a tremendous amount of skill in it, don't get me wrong, but it's one of those where if it doesn't come back off the shin and fall right into right into his path, like the one chance a defender has and it still goes back to Rashford. Like do not underestimate the amount of luck that that right place, right time scoring goals is. But again, you make your own luck and he's in he's just in such a streak of form now. And um Ten Hag was really, really happy with him. It's good to see Ten Hag happy because he laid into his Manchester United players after the Arsenal defeat. You know, he was very critical of the goals in all the press conferences, even with like uh, the in-house TV networks uh, at United. He was just like super upset, um, but he was a little bit more, a um, little bit more happy now. And he will be, su- he will be incredibly happy if they go on and win a cup. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um Lost in the the Rashford of it all, JJ, is that uh, Bruno Fernandes has been really good of late. Uh, his goal in this game was his 100th goal involvement for Manchester United in 155 appearances. 56 goals, 44 assists. Kind of somewhat, I don't know, somewhat quietly, boy, what a player he's turned out to be for them. Um, so good for him. Um, yeah, I took that goal. The skill on that goal was really, really good. Um, I can't remember who flicked it back to Elanga. Him. I believe Anthony and Alanga like that. W- that was him teeing him up. Uh, Alanga's done that. Like, first of all, it's the, it's the best way to deliver that pass that it won't get cut out because it's in a narrow little gap, but he knows exactly that Fernandez can take it on the volley like that. And beautiful goal. Yeah. Uh, so don't have too much more to say about that. Three nil no. uh, United over Nottingham forest, one nil Newcastle over Southampton as both of those head to a uh, second leg. I believe it's next week. I think. Yeah, those are next week. Uh, uh, just one quick question for you. And you uh, like, Joe, Joe, I'll keep it brief. Do you not think that if it's two Premier League teams or four Premier League teams that make the uh, the semifinals of the League Cup, that it should be one-off semifinals with extra time penalties, the whole thing, at a neutral venue for both sides? Because the gate doesn't matter to those clubs. Like it doesn't. Whereas if it's like a Bradford or, you know, Rotherham or someone that somehow makes it through to the, the semifinals or a championship side, the, the gate's important to them financially. Whereas like these two legged affairs, I don't know if they're necessary. Yeah, I, I agree. That feels like a weird thing, though, to kind of like have a stipulation in the rules of like, OK, well, if it's two Premier League teams, we're only going to play one leg. But if it's a League One and a Premier League side, then we will play two you're legs. Right. Uh, you, I don't know. you got to kind of make the decision. No, you're right. Um, but I get what you're saying. Like, yeah, that's it feels that like in a in a calendar that's already jam packed. Does this need to be two legs? No, it doesn't. Yeah. Um, but there we go. It is. Yeah. So uh, let's see. Let's go back now to a couple American issues, JJ, happening in the world of soccer. Boy, he's gone and done it again. Um, Gio Reyna scores, comes on as a sub in extra time against Mainz. 
in the Bundesliga, scores the winning goal just like he did a few days earlier for Borussia Dortmund. Incredible, incredible stuff. Um, I have a couple things to say about this. The first one, I saw this tweet from Matt Singer that I thought was funny. Uh, he said, what if Gio Reyna is an amazing super sub and Greg was right the whole time, LOL. <laughs> um, y- yeah. There was a fairly robust response to your uh, feelings on Monday's pod where you thought that his celebration was tied into the whole ongoing, uh, I'll use the word again, furore surrounding what's mm-hmm. happened. The unpleasantness, let's call it that. And people were not convinced that that is a reaction. They thought you were reading too much into it. That's fair. Uh, yeah, uh, that, that that's fair. I, I could even I could even probably apologize for that take. Because like, I don't know. I, I just saw it uh, and I got kind of caught up in it, made yeah. an assumption. I might be right. By the way, it it's not just, I say uh, I like it's not it's not just me. It, More than any, you. Anyone who was on Twitter after that happened, it was like it was a it was commonly accepted among U.S. soccer fans that that's what was happening. Now, perhaps we were all uh, caught up in the moment. Um, he might have just been doing that as some sort of I'm blocking out the noise type of reaction, not even making the association with Memphis Depay. That could have been a coincidence. I, I'll apologize. If I ever found out that Gio Reyna heard that and hated me for that take, I'd say, yeah, you know what? I understand why you feel that way. Um, it's so, so frustrating. Fair enough. It's so frustrating for us because I understand totally why he should not comment on any of this right now. Don't add fuel to the fire. You got a career to get on with. Get on with it. But by the same token, I would love to know what his view on his view on what his parents did was, is. Was it sanctioned? Well, JJ, did you kind of along those lines? Because like, again, his celebration uh, after this goal, it was kind of a muted, somewhat, I wouldn't say angry celebration. Wasn't that a finger in the air? Yeah. Uh, And so I I liked it. A guy, again, we've mentioned this guy so much recently. We should really try to have him on the show. But did you see Zito Madu's tweet after it? Uh, he said, brilliant. He said, I love Gio Reyna's little defined celebrations like someone forced his dad into blackmail. (laughs) Again, I mean, I don't know if I, I, I don't know. Um, we, we're going to have to start paying, paying Zito some kind of royalties for his he's, tweets. He's just great on Twitter. Like his he's, tweets are just fun to read because he's just, he has kind of like an intelligent humor to I, his, his yeah. slant on the game. Yeah. He, he's, uh, he always tweets and when he tweets, it's kind of different. Um, but I should, I should let make... me at least, let me at least say this. Um, Cause yes, I, I probably went to, I did. I, I think I went too far. I listened back after I saw some of the reaction. I listened back. I thought, yeah, you know what? I kind of, I kind of reacted to Reina's celebration as though it was, as though he said after the mat, he came out and said, "This is why I did what I did." Uh, so we don't know. I don't know, and I probably went too far. Um, so just kind of removing all of that and just looking at like the soccer of it all. I mean, this is great. This is great to see. This is exactly what we want to see. Like he's he's responding to his critics with his play. Like he's not, you know, he's not out there sulking or whatever. He's he's coming on as a sub, doing his job, uh scoring huge hugely important goals for his Massive. team. One of them was a, was you know, one of Borussia Dortmund's goals of the season. This one, I think you you uh phrased it as more of a poacher's goal. Yeah, he, but he nips still, it at the far post, stabs home. Still an important way of scoring goals to have that knack for where you need to be. Um, so from like from a soccer sense, this is great. 
good for him. And like, God, did he desperately need this to try to shake everything that happened over the course of November and December? Um, you know, prove people wrong, uh, show people why you should have been playing more in that tournament. And he's doing those things. So good for him, man. I mean, I'm, I'm willing to, you know, when, when it comes back around to it, I don't know if he'll be in the nation's league rosters or what, or who will even be managing those teams, but like, I'm willing to go clean slate here. Um, a hundred percent. And like, I, I, I think of this scene in Sopranos where, where little Carmine is trying to negotiate a truce between New York on one side and New Jersey on the other side. And he succeeds in doing it, right? So I'm thinking of Little Carmine as whoever the new U.S. manager is. And he'll say, let the past be bygones. And the, pre the mistake Little Carmine makes is that he starts listing the things that, the points of anger between the two sides. <laughs> and New York, because he goes, yeah, your brother Billy, whatever happened there? Whatever happened there? And it explodes. No, let me make this clear, because some people think that Gio Reyna has ruined his national team career. No new U.S. manager that comes in is going to heed this. They will be out to win games and to make an impression at the 2026 World Cup. And Gio Reyna, when fit and playing, is a huge part of that. And that's that will be the only concern. If he's kicking up in camp again, then that's the only other time that that, that this will be referenced. Otherwise, he will not care. It will be get on with it. It will be get this guy into camp because he's a good player. By the way, even if Bearhalter is the manager, he I, I would that. I would expect and hope that that's the mentality. One hundred percent because he's that because he is that good. So oh, yeah. we don't have a player quite like him. That's it. Okay, we got to go on because something else happened, Andrew. Oh, enlighten us. Jordi Mihailovic scores his first goal for Azed Alkmaar in a 4-1 win over the go-ahead Eagles. Um, it was the second goal. It was... <laughs> did you see it? It was well taken in the fact it went into the net, but it's a diving header from a height where you're thinking, probably just side foot that. But he gets down real low for this diving header. I don't think a diving header could be much lower, to be honest with you, unless he, he slid in on a luge. Head first, like on or the skeleton, which is the one that's head first. Uh, skeleton. Yeah. Like if he came in on a skeleton, that would be as low as he could get. But he takes his goal well. And um, people aren't really talking about the fact that he's on a team that are second in the Eredivisie right now, just two points off of uh, Feyenoord. So it's it's going to be an interesting spring for him. There's a title run in there. Ajax are fairly well adrift. So... um. Good, good start for um, for Mihailovic, who was only, I think, three appearances. It's great. I mean, he was one of the best players in MLS with Montreal. Glad he's got his chance in Europe. Hope he's able to make the most of it because he's still young. You know, that's one of the interesting things about him is like his he's kind of still got his whole career ahead of him. Um, maybe he's flown under the radar a little bit compared to some of the other guys who are around his age profile. Um because they kind of, you know, there's that group of players, obviously, that are around that same age that ascended to Europe quicker than him. But he's there now. So we'll see. Maybe he's able to catch up uh, to some of those others. And the final piece of news comes from um, the Here We Go man, uh, Fabrizio Romano. He's doing another, well, it's not quite a Here We Go, but uh, negotiations continue between Leeds and Juventus for Weston McKinney. 
as opening bid has been made for 28 million euros, Juventus want 35 million euro fee. McKenney has already agreed personal terms with Leeds. Um, your thoughts, Andrew? My thoughts. My initial thought is that Leeds are desperate to be the new Fulham. This is almost unprecedented. You, you've got to stop saying that. The new Fulham. You, oh, my God. Don't ever say that in public. You'll get smack. Go on. Why? Do you realize the regard in which Leeds hold themselves and their, their haughty history? Do you have any idea that them being compared to Fulham is like, that's in, insulting. But you know why I'm saying that. I know why you're saying that, but you, you need to be very clear. In terms of American influence. They're desperate to load as many American players onto this team as they possibly can. Um, and I think it's awesome. I, I, I guess I like that part of it, I think, is fun. Uh, Does he make know. them better? I don't know. I think so. I think very highly of Weston McKinney as a player. The question for me isn't about whether or not it's a good move for Leeds, because I, I think it I think it's a good move for them, certainly. Mm. Um you know, I was talking to somebody where I work, a, a British guy, uh, and you know, he was we were talking about that move and he was saying, you know, watching uh, he's he lives in America now, but he's an English he's a fan of England. That's kind of the prism through which he views soccer and you know, he was saying, you know, watching you guys, the U.S. perform at this past World Cup, I thought you had one of the best midfields that I saw in the entire tournament. So mm. he said for Leeds to put two of those three in the same midfield, it can't be that bad. I mean, Musa being the only missing piece, but to get Adams and McKinney playing together, there's clear, you know, there's a chemistry there. Uh, so, I, yeah, I don't see, I don't necessarily see the downside for Leeds. For me, I guess the question is more about if, if you're Weston McKinney, um, what is this? What like how do you gauge this move? It's weird because Juventus are a you know they're a a titan of the industry. JJ, they're one of the you know, they're one of the blue bloods of the sport. Um, but like dynamics are changing. Newcastle or not? I'm looking at the, their uniform and thinking Newcastle, Juventus. Um, you know they've just received this punishment, so they'll almost assuredly not be competing in the Champions League next season. Uh, their title run in is not a thing wasn't going to be anyway with the distance that Napoli had opened up over everyone. So like, yeah, like the idea of an American player playing at Juventus is cool, but I don't know. I, I think with the direction that talent is heading right now and, and with what the Premier League is, maybe it's just better for him to be on any Premier League club yeah. in this moment. Also, you feel like his chances of starting at Leeds and being just like consistent, regular, always there, part of the team or better. Now I'm curious as to how that, that, that'll be formed because I don't think it'll change with Roca and Adams at the base of that midfield. So what happens ahead is the question because there's players, you have, you know, um, Sam Greenwood. Um, I don't think he's going to be, a, oh, I don't know, Jack Harrison, established Leeds player. Mm -hmm. And then you've got the young talent, the, Willie Nanto up front. So, I mean, he's going to slot in there for one of those spots in behind Rodrigo, you would think. So I don't know. I don't know what, what Jesse Marsh wants to do. Now, the, the other thing for for Leeds is they've signed Chris Armas today as the assistant coach. Je, Jesse, Jesse Marsh has come in. And 
Armas had serious reputational damage, I think, done to him at Manchester United, which was probably unfair uh, being there with Ralph Rangnick, considering like Armas got there and all the leaks. He Armas was taking the sessions. And that's when all the leaks about training, about dissatisfied players, all this stuff came out. And Armas is in again now at Leeds, which is he's having an incredible run right now. And the first thing is Leeds fans won't take kindly to some uh, assistant who's failed at United coming to their club. The other thing is as well that it's a sense that Jesse Marsh is so ensconced in like the Red Bull system and the Red Bull way of playing that he's brought in another Red Bull guy who knows that way and knows that that code and and that it's I don't know he's surrounding himself with what he knows and it's maybe not maybe it's not as thoughtful or as inventive as as some people think maybe but his job is on the line so yeah. I understand a desire to you know if I'm going to go out I'm going to go out my way right uh, so you know wanting to kind of like have your people there with you where maybe he's most comfortable guys who he's been surrounded by in the past where it's worked for him. Um, so I get it. Uh, I get, I don't know. I didn't have a huge issue with it. The one thing that I kind of have my antenna up with right now with regards to leads is Brendan Aronson. Yeah. Um, it started brilliantly for him there. He was, the fans took to him immediately, his work rate, you know, he was contributing to goals, but Again, Twitter can be toxic. It's not always the best place to go for honest, genuine reaction to what's going on. But you're starting to see a little bit of a souring there. Um, you know, you're starting to see a little bit. I, I saw some tweets talking about, you know, he runs and runs, but for what? Like, you know, mm. so it it's the initial, wow, this is going great. You know, that the has, cross is gone. Yeah, that's tailed off a little bit. Um, so I'm not saying it's, it's gone bad, but like I said, my, my antenna is up like when they're on, I'll watch them and I'll be just kind of curious to see, you know, the impact that, that Aronson makes in the game. Um, well, Aronson could be watching Adams and McKinney from the sidelines is, is basically what could happen there because I'm not sure if he moves away from Harrison or Nanto, as I said, um, yeah, I don't know. It's going to, it's, it's going to be, uh. It's going to be interesting to see the next few games for Jesse Marsh because um, they could really do with a win. <laughs> yeah, they sure could. Um, speaking of speaking of a club in that sort of state, uh, JJ, we did a podcast the other day and uh, we completed it. We we published it for the masses. It was consumed by the masses, and then uh, pretty much as soon as it went out, Everton released a statement uh, saying that Frank Lampard. Had been relieved, but they didn't. Of his duties. They well, waved. no, I guess they didn't. They didn't. The, the the they let the rumor fester, even though the BBC knew he was gone. Like BBC, a number of outlets were saying he's gone, and and Everton Daly, they didn't put out their comunicado oficial. I think there's roughly a five hour gap between yeah. when when everyone knew he was gone and when Everton officially said he was gone. Players found out um, on social media. Uh, online not good just no not i mean boy they'll they'll butcher anything right now i like if you can't get this right they're a mess so what do we think i mean i don't know that i don't know that anyone is surprised here no um, which is a weird thing to say because it implies that the manager was a disaster and i don't know that i feel that way 
Maybe look, here's the thing is like, maybe he was, but it's hard to know because the team was so bad and because so many other managers before him have gone there and experienced the same results for the most part. I mean, this is obviously worse, but I think that the talent is worse. Uh, You know, this has been steadily building to this moment for years. Yeah. So like, it's possible that Lampard, maybe he is a bad manager. But it's just hard to make that judgment off of this situation just because they're a, they're a mess. And I don't know that a new manager changes that. 100%. But can we not say he was a problem in, in an ocean of other problems? And he was appointed by a problematic owner and a problematic board. You know, like... Lampard, I'm not saying you're wrong, but can you go deeper there? Like, tell me why he, he was a problem. Because by well, the way, Everton fans, I think, like, no, for however bad they are, you know, oftentimes when a team is terrible and a manager gets sacked, there's an initial kind of celebrating that. I'm not seeing that from Everton fans. No, because one. because most of their ire is now at the board, and they're, they 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 see the cycle, they see the gyres turning, and and they're ending up in the same position they were again, having to find someone to come in and firefight and take them out. But the misconception is that Frank Lampard made Everton better and performed some kind of miracle. Uh, but it it just got too much. It just was, oh, I can't. I, how can I deal with this club anymore? Everton were not in the relegation zone when he was hired. They weren't. He took them in there with, with Rafa Benitez. What were they, 12th or 13th? Somewhere in that region. He took them in there, and there was results against Chelsea, uh, Manchester United, that helped get them out. And, and obviously the, the the comeback win against Crystal Palace, but like the the Lampard style of play wasn't working, Andrew. Like I know the players weren't very good, but at the same time, I you know he wasn't able to link all those disparate parts and put them together. Now the other the the thing that Frank Lampard will say, well that's a team, a hodgepodge of seven different managers. Okay, but like what was the point of pointing you in the first place? If this was, you knew what you were coming into and you didn't make things better. The club did not play better football under him. And what why I would say the board made an error was that when they saw, I mean, again, it's the lack of football people at the club, Marcel. Brands have been fired. The lack of a real kind of focus on the football side of things. Anyone who watched Everton under Frank Lampard would have seen they escaped. They sure did. People were very, very happy, but they should have moved on from him the minute, like the next day after the Southampton game. It would have gone down terribly because he was, we have that image of him up on the dugout and the masses in front of him and his arms stretched wide. But this was going nowhere. They had to get a manager in and they had to give him summer to reset things and a preseason to reset things and start again. Now, could that manager have done it? Who knows? But it wasn't Frank Lampard. Nothing he did at Chelsea, nothing he did at Chelsea would suggest that he was ready for the Everton job. And I still say the way that Frank Lampard has climbed the ladder to the top is a way that most managers don't get the opportunity to. Graham Potter did not get that opportunity. By the time Graham Potter was elected Chelsea manager, he had a CV that could choke a horse. He had to go abroad and bring a team up from four divisions to the very top, win the championship, come over, perform a, perform well at Swansea's, perform well at Brighton. Like, Frank Lampard did none of that. And and 
like it's the lack of a football person to say this guy on the field there's no shape to this team there's nothing we can see there's no winning in this side and that what we saw at the end was was desperation football that got us out and also a couple of purported good sides playing very badly man united included like they caught those teams at the right time and uh, and this season has borne it out He's he's gone at the same time that he was uh, that he was sacked as Chelsea manager, midway through, um, and I don't know where Frank where where does if he did such a good job, I I struggle to think of another club that'll take him in the Premier League. Hard to say right now. I mean, he had the, he, but he'll work again. I mean, he will work again, but I mean that is in no small part to the fact that. The minute that he was that he was fired, we we had these kind of articles. One in the Athletic, which Michael Calley highlighted, which said, "I'm paraphrasing." Frank Lampard made Everton better, but where does he? But but couldn't stop the rot. Where where do things go? No, he didn't make them better. Absolutely, did not make them better. Um, one man who was sure none of this was Frank Lampard's fault. I tweeted out uh, on Monday when Lampard was sacked. Can I get a bet? Is there anywhere I can place a bet that Harry Redknapp will be on TalkSport tomorrow suggesting that there was nothing Frank could do and it wasn't his fault? Um, and here's Harry. Well, I, I must admit, I thought I had a strong feeling it was, you know, it was coming and it's been a difficult job for Frank to take. But I think, mean, you know, Laurie, you only have to look at the managers that they've had. I mean, they're not exactly second rate, are they? You know, you're going from a... Angelotti and, and you know mm, all the way so. Angelotti you know uh, Silva who's doing a Marco Silva do an amazing job at Fulham you know Ronald Koeman Martinez Sam Allardyce was there you know Rafa Benitez it's been incredible no one can make it work there that's the Lampard uh, managerial complex kicking into gear you know he's got he's got his he's got people who support him in the media um He's got his uncle Harry going to bat for him, who's a man of of reputation in management. He'll get another job. He'll be out for six or seven months, right? And then the next thing, there will be an article in a paper of repute, possibly the Sunday Times, possibly with Henry Winter, and it'll be a relaxed Lampard with the stresses of Premier League football behind him. But make no mistake, the desire to win is still there. Frank Lampard is ready, and he's ready to manage again. And back he'll be in some job. And it's um, and I like Frank, and I am one of the I, I'm someone who can say I've met him three times, and honestly, I loved him because he batted away other people who would have stopped me getting an interview with him, and absolutely was happy to talk, and I, I really loved him for that, and he was a good guy and a nice guy, and he always had a word for me, but he has managed. Three of the biggest historical clubs in the history of English football. Derby County, Chelsea Football Club, Everton. Based on what? Fair question. That's a fair question. Um, Patrick Boylan of The Athletic, kind of playing off of what Harry Redknapp was talking about with that that list of managers, um, Patrick Boylan writes, uh, were they all bad managers? 
At least some of them may have been, but the constant upheaval tells another story, one of poor decision-making, flimsy processes, and interference from non-footballing personnel and footballing matters. Okay. If, um, if you're after your eighth manager in less than seven years, then maybe you shouldn't be making the decisions and or the right conditions are not in place for people to succeed in any case. Uh, and that and is also all true. Like, all again, true. What you're, what you're saying about Lampard may be true, but there is also like... I mean, how many other managers have to fail? I guess Anc- Carlo Ancelotti might be the 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 exception to this rule. It felt like had he stayed there, maybe they were going in a better direction. But like, he's one of the best managers of all time. So, I mean, I don't know that that can be the standard that we hold all these other ones to. Um, wow. He left of his own volition. Uh, but all these other guys that tried and failed, tried and failed, tried and failed, like... There's a there is a rot within the way that club operates. A hundred a thousand percent. And I don't I don't mean to be to focus so much on Lampard, but it does annoy me the way that like we're just he just gets a pass and gets to walk out and probably walk into another reasonably sized job. I don't see where it is, but I bet you it'll happen. Um this club is poorly run. Jamie, Jamie Carrer was on Monday Night Football. He said it's the worst run club in England. Like that is it's a fair statement. They've spent. Well, we heard all that from Greg. It o- was a Greg O'Keefe that we had on with us for an in the club on Everton when, yeah. you know, talking about the way they operate. You know, Mashiri listening to non-football people, yeah, uh, influenced by agents rather than uh, his actual football personnel. Well, Kia Jarabshin was on Talksport. Carraher called Jarabshin out, said he has undue influence at the club, too much influence on the owner, and Jarabshin fired back again on Talksport. And 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 came on and said, "Oh, these are the players I signed." He did sign Richarlison for the club, but then he went through a kind of a list of players that he didn't get them. And I'm like, "How is this helpful, Kia? Bruno Gamarish being one of them. There was an option to get Gamarish uh, before he went to Leon, and they didn't get him for 16 million. Hmm. Uh, I mean, I don't, I, I, I don't see how that exonerates Kia Jurabshin. Uh Anyway, you know, one of the questions too with this is because of the way the fans, the fans clearly have a soft spot in their heart for this manager. And so maybe with that, you can make the case that Everton waited too long to do this. Yeah. Um, Greg O'Keefe, again, at the athletic, he wrote about that saying rival clubs saw the gap in terms of that world cup break. That's six weeks off rival clubs saw the gap as the opportune moment to make a change. Aston Villa brought in Unai Emery while Wolves secured former Spain manager, Julian Lopetegui. Uh, Southampton had already parted company with Ralph Hasenhutl and appointed Nathan Jones to replace him. But at Goodison, the situation was allowed to rumble on, in part because they were wary of repeating the mistakes of the past. Yet after the break, results continued to spiral. Uh, There's also the argument, Andrew, would that board know who to put in place if they got rid of him anyway? And well, the, the suggestion is, on one hand, so the main two candidates, uh, according to the papers, were Marcelo Bielsa, on, on one hand, and on the other hand, Sean Dyche. Now, these are polar opposites. There's no clear line thinking in those suggestions. If that is what the board is thinking, there just isn't. I'm going to be honest here. I, I'm I'm split in how I feel about this. Because if you ask me who's the better manager, with all my body and soul, I want to say Marcelo Bielsa. Um, but I also believe that that could be a total disaster for this Everton team. 
I cannot imagine this team playing a style that he wants to play and it's succeeding. I think it would be horrible. And how quickly would you have to implement that style? Like one thing about Bielsa was he got time to do it at Leeds. He had pre-seasons. He's got to start now and start winning now. There's there's no opportunity for it's 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 win now. And and the other thing about Dice is we said it before. I mean, Dice's style of football wasn't working at Burnley. Now, does that mean it won't come in and he, he can't come in and, and, and work it for enough games to keep them up, uh, keep Everton up? Maybe, but I think that's a risk there too. The other side to it is um, any good manager is going to want to come in and have the kind of structures that other top clubs have, which Everton clearly don't. Recruitment, um, data analytics, which is probably one and the same thing. Um, and they'll want to embed a certain culture. And there's just no time. Like, if there if there is a genuine, like, real firefighter manager out there, they've got to just get him in and and then make the first date of preseason, the first day after the last game of the season where they stay up, if they can manage it, as some kind of like year zero and they just start everything again. And now what manager is going to take that job? No one will keep you up, but we we know you're not going to do the things we need long-term. Well, but it's a chance for certain managers to rehab their reputation. Like it, it's almost a nothing to lose position right now because you see the way that this has gone for all these other managers previously. You see the trajectory of them. So if they go down, it's like, well, what'd you expect? Yeah. This this club's a disaster. Like your reputation can't get worse ma- by going there to manage. But if you keep them up, you're a hero. You've rehabbed your image. So I could actually, in a weird way, it's it's like a weirdly appealing job right yeah. now. I mean, maybe um, Tuesday was also another wild day because it started with reports of the split on the board over a successor to Lampard, which just didn't look good. And then reports that owner Farad Mashiri will be selling the club circulated until Mashiri himself clarified that he's lo- looking for new investment in part to help finance the new stadium, which goes back to what we were saying, was it last week, that they don't have the money for the new stadium completely wrapped up. And I would imagine one one key figure we're forgetting in all this mess, Andrew, is uh, Usmanov, who left and took his money with him, who can no longer put money into the club and seem to be a, a fairly important part in uh, in Mashiri's reign was the money that was coming in from, from his sponsorship. So that money's gone because of the sanctions against Russia. So Jonathan Wilson, we had a, we had a listener who, who emailed genuinely saying, if, they, if everything go down, isn't it a chance for a reset? And I heard Jonathan Wilson on Off the Ball say the same thing. Mm. And he just said, there's just no guarantee they'll come back up. I will never be one of those people who feels that way. That there's that there's some weird positive to take out of going down. We went especially, over last And week. we talked about this, especially a club yeah. in their state. Um, not only the history of Everton, uh, it is the history of the Everton, but <laughs> but a club that's trying to build a new stadium and pay for it. I can't possibly think of a worse time in no. the world for that, a club like that to be relegated. I don't know. If you're someone out there who believes that there are reasons why this is a good thing, if they go down, 
please reach out to us on Twitter or on email and explain those reasons because right now I don't see any of them. I think it's, it's insane. It's a crazy thought. You're a crazy person is what I'm saying, but I want, want to hear the logic of your crazy. Do you want to hear the, uh, the, the list of candidates and, and um, so. Do you have it in front of you? Cause what I really want is to go to bed. I'm going to be honest. No problem. Um, it looks as if leading the pack now, it's Sean Dyche. Okay. Bielsa is somewhere way off. And then you've got disparate names. Hasselhutl, Allardyce, who's already ru- ruled himself out. He said, if they wanted me, they would have called me already. Wayne Rooney, uh, Carlos Corberan, uh, David Moyes, Maurizio Sarri, Rui Faria, Vincent Company. I mean, wh- all right, the rest aren't really. Maurizio Sarri. Wow. Sorry, ball. Sorry is uh, Sorry's going to leave Italy for for that mess, is he? Oh man! Oh, that poor club. He's just smashed AC Milan four nil. Got a nice little team at Lazio. Um, he's not leaving for that. No, no, no I third. Don't think so. Not leaving. Come on. Yeah, I don't think so either. Uh, that's all. That's about all I got. I got nothing left in the tank, JJ. I, I, one last thing that I will say: I started oh. the documentary on Apple TV Plus about the Super League four-part documentary. I'm like one and a half parts in, and it's excellent. I highly recommend it. It's taken me right back to that time. It's really well done. Um, so far, from what I've seen, it's a lot of like. There are clear protagonists and antagonists. There are clear heroes and villains here. Um, and like in a weird position, like normally like the executives of these governing bodies of soccer, you know, are not viewed as heroic. But in this documentary, at least what I'm through so far, Alexander Seferin is the hero to Andrea Agnelli and uh, and all that that whole cabal those are the obvious villains, but the wow. president of UEFA in this comes across as, as the heroic figure, which is, which is not territory. You usually not ways. You usually see those kinds of guys portrayed in. It's it's pretty interesting. And he seems to be a pretty interesting figure, a likable figure from the way yeah. he's being painted. Um, um so just and, fascinating. Stuff. It's made me want to go back and re-listen to those emergency podcasts. Remember, I mean, we lost our minds. We couldn't believe what was happening. Our world was crumbling around us. We couldn't stop recording podcasts. We recorded, we recorded on a Sunday. Monday and a Tuesday. And all w- three of them were completely different from each other. It was incredible. I think some yeah. of the, it's the best work, some of the best work we've ever done. I think so too, actually. Yeah. And people really responded to it. It's amazing. A lot of the non kick the ball stuff is some of the stuff that people go really go towards. Um, and finally, just want to say, cause I know you're an Oscars guy, Ireland in the Oscars mm-hmm. across the whole of the Oscars. We've got 14 nominations. From all from some of our various films, obviously Barry Cohen's nomination for is it best actor or best supporting? I don't know. You know better than me. I don't. I I don't. I have no idea. Um, for Banshees of Inisherin, I haven't seen that. Um, it's got nine nominees. Wow, I should probably see it. Yeah, I think you really should. Okay. Um, and it's uh, uh, Cohen is just absolutely. Barry Keown is absolutely brilliant. Huh? They're good really, really good. All right. And um, Paul Mescal for After Sun and 
Quiet Girl has got a nomination too. It's um, these are great days. Congratulations, Irish film industry. Very proud. I'm very proud of of you for everything right, you've done. Go to bed because I'm afraid this podcast will kill you. You look wretched. Um, I'm I'm concerned. You got to text me in the morning. All right. I will. You'll be my first text when I wake up. Uh, this was fun. The U.S. back in action. They've got another one coming up against Colombia. I'll be locked in on that one as well, as I'm sure all of you out there will. Columbia uh, D. I'm not. I, I watched I, I watched this game uh, deep into the night. I thought about it all day. Oh, come on. It is deep into the night at this all point. Right. Good hey, Lord. This was fun. To you, I say. Good night, fun boy. I'll see you later, man. Take care. You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.